And uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Swing Thoughts, the uh, golf podcast with a difference, brought to you by the fine folks at TaylorMade Adidas Golf. TaylorMade, the number one driver on the planet. Uh, this fine gentleman is uh, Tim O'Connor. Good morning. My name's uh, Hello. Howard. Hi. Tim O'Connor at O'ConnorGolf.ca, the performance, uh, mental performance dude. Person. <laughs> and, uh, at the uh, Glen Abbey Golf Academy, um, I host a uh, internationally renowned radio program filled with nonsense. And by the way, if you ever do check out Humble and Fred Radio, the first couple times, just don't have your kids in the room because you're gonna you're gonna hear some things. You won't be offended, but you know, unless you want your children to uh, you know start their education early, you might want to keep them away from uh, your phone or so whatever use, you do. Use discernment. Yes, use discretion, discernment, and other adult things. D words. Uh, <laughs> it's a great. Day. Our guest today is uh, humble and uh, humble and Tim. Uh, this program today, our guests are going to be ourselves. We thought we would do a show just to kind of update everyone as to how we've been doing, what's been going on in the in our worlds, and. Uh, just I just thought we would just have a little, uh, you know, Tim and Howard. We need some Tim and Howard time. We do. We, I haven't seen you. I saw you last Wednesday on the range at Glencairn, who also are sponsors of our show. That's right. Yeah. And Blue Springs. Blue Springs Golf Club. It's going to start putting our logo, I think, in the last two weeks. That's of, fine. Of Men's Night. Hey, have you ever seen the scorecards for Men's Night, though? Uh, for uh, Glencairn? Yeah. No. It's cool. They've actually got our logo on all the cards. Wow. And, and in fact, when they send out the email, each week saying, hey, would you want to sign up? It's It says swing, um, Men's Night brought to you by Swing Thoughts with Tim and Howard, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. I just realized I've got something to tell you about Saturday, and I was I, was, I didn't want to do this. I, um, <laughs> I was going to tell you off the air. I wasn't going to do this? I wasn't going to do this. I thought, oh, I don't want to tell him on the air, because what is he going to do? Get mad at me? <laughs> um, I, I, and all the, I, I know, listen, I apologize. And all the moving and all the things that are going on in my life... I you you were invite you invited me to play Beacon Hall, which is an amazing golf course. This Saturday coming up. Yeah, I think it's Saturday the tenth, right? It's this Saturday, the next Saturday. The one coming up, and yes. I and I had already committed to playing in a tournament, but I didn't realize the tournament day was the Tim Day. Oh, so you're going to have to summon all your mental performance uh, acumen and skills to not get mad at me for bailing on you. Oh, I'm not going to get mad. Uh, I just have to. My my brain goes immediately now. I have to start. Now I have to talk to my cousin Ken, who who uh, prepares well in advance of these things to reschedule. I'm but, sorry. But we'll do that. Well, why don't you just go ahead without me? Ah, no, do it because I don't know why I feel bad because I saw I was looking look, at my schedule for this week and I was like, oh God, I got to tell Tim. They're looking forward to it. I know, buddy. Uh, Whatever, we'll fix it. We'll deal with this offline, as they say. We'll get it rebooked. So I've been, uh, full disclosure, uh, the last um, <clears throat> couple of months of my life have all been about moving. And it's funny because I think, did you say to me something? You're saying like, well, I guess you're not going to be playing men's night. Because it, yeah. it was the day before. before I moved. And I'm like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> exactly. There only, he shows up. Yep. Only a golfer. Like, I planned the entire week of the move. Around when I had commitments to play golf. So I played Wednesday afternoon, evening. The movers came to my house at 8 o'clock the next morning. 
all day long, moving, whatever. And the next morning, I played a huge golf tournament. Uh, I had to leave my house at 7 a.m. in a place I'd never slept before. And only golfers would do that. Do you, you know, see the dichotomy? Yes. Though? Do you see the dichotomy here? What is the dichotomy? The Conkle? paradox is well, scheduling. Yes. You'd schedule this big tournament. Yeah, I'm going to no. play with my cousin and Phil Hardy at lovely Beacon Hall. And you, I screwed you over. I'm sorry. But you managed to get yourself organized to play uh, golf around moving. Do you know what it is? It's a paradox. <clears throat> it is. And the dichotomy, you're right. It is a dichotomy that I had everything figured out to the move and, and just one day beyond. After that, I have no idea. <laughs> After that, I really don't know what's going to happen. Well, moving does mess with your life in a major way. Oh, my God. So can I tell you a quick story? That'll Most stressful get... thing you do besides, I think, getting divorced. Well, divorce, moving, and a death in your family. And I've done it. I've had all of those happen to me multiple times, not divorces, but like I had my father pass away in 2006. Well, by the way, I also lost my job. So July 2006, lost my job. My dad died in, in October 2006. Got divorced and separated in 2009. Moved in 2010. Moved again in 2016. And through all of it, I had equanimity and uh, no. You found... Cause you Peace. Because <laughs> you didn't cling to the result, right? You weren't, you weren't striving, striving. Plus, you just moved. You've moved in the time I've known you. You moved... Um, June 2015. Right. So you've gone through it. Oh, yeah. The culling of all your stuff and then the arranging and you buy a place and you sell your place and the, the lawyers and all those things. Oh, it's nuts. Totally nuts. All the last minute things that come up. Oh, yeah. And oh, just... Dealing with my spousal equivalent, Sandy, she was amazing through it, but it's a major, major stress. And, and also, that's, it was the house where we raised our kids. Yeah. And so there's a lot of emotion involved in it and um, just a lot of stories that were kind of funny um, in the aftermath. But, oh, my God, it was just holding my, trying to hold myself together. It was like when my dog died and just trying to keep things suppressed down so I can mm-hmm. just function while being organized and keeping lists and, and getting to know everyone. And having another person, Sandy's, uh, Tim's wife, as you said, you know, having another person to help out, it takes such a load off. And in this particular move, it's, one of the, it's only the second time I've done it by myself, a full-scale, you know, big house move. And it was, I, it was, you know, I was telling my ex-wife, who also has just moved, I said, you know, it's funny, you never realize how much you need and rely on another person until you're doing it all yourself. Not just the packing and the movers, and, but all the changing the, you know, your addresses and utilities and all those things. Oh, yeah. That you have. It's fun to, well, it's just better to have somebody else helping you out. Oh, yeah. And, and like Sandy's, the, she's, she's a financial controller in what she does. And thank goodness, because uh, she takes care of that stuff like banking and all the freaking details that would be, oh, didn't occur to me to do that. You right. Know? And, oh. I'll tell you what, if I'd had Sandy helping me out, I would have been able to play with you on this Saturday because I would have <laughs> been able to figure it out and keep that together. Um, well, it depends on what you play. She's, her hourly rate is, uh, is going up. I'm sure. So, uh, there you go. Uh, I'll tell you one quick story. Because this is so bizarre. The, the, the person that bought my house is a real estate agent, but I don't know how experienced she is. She bought it, I think, to fix it up, to flip it. I get a... Um, and she's been very difficult. There's been a million things where she... 
She's been a very tough negotiator, and she ground me down in a lot of things, and, and there's been a lot of weird back and forth, but the day I sold my house, okay, I'm done with this woman now, right? A day later, I get an email from my real estate agent saying, you know, you forgot to drop off the mail key. Oh, no, no, that's right. I did. I forgot. So I did that. Apparently, she could the woman who bought the house couldn't figure out how to use the garage door opener, which is fine. I, I figured that out. Isn't it just teaching code? Yeah, I gave her the code, but she couldn't figure out how to do that. And then I get this email. I'll just read it to you. It's interesting. This woman has copied me and my real estate agent on a letter she sent to the lawyer. Let me read it to you. (laughs) Hello, lawyer, she says. We fixed the garage door opener, comma, meaning she figured out how to do it. Because I guess she sent a lawyer letter to her lawyer saying, the garage door opener doesn't work. Fine. (laughs) Then this is the best. She goes, the seller, that's me, does not take responsibility of the holes all over the wall. Please advise what we can do. Thanks. And do you know what those holes were? Yes. No doubt. They were just little pinholes for when you had pictures up. Pictures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like every place you buy. So the lawyer hopefully will see that today because today is the first business day that we we were in operation since I moved. He's going to see that and advise her. The amount of money you would spend for me to send this man a a letter is 10 times more than going to get some polyething filler. Exactly. Polyfilla. That's exactly where I went. Because it's uh, the way she makes it. The holes all over the... Like I took a sledgehammer with Game of Thrones on the place. Gaping gaping holes. We're talking about the holes... Where the the hanger, the, um, what do they call the little uh, picture hanger things? Picture hanger things. Yeah, those things. That's what she's talking about. The seller does not take responsibility of the holes all over the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to see how this turns out. All of this by way of saying it's about, it's, you know, I'll through it all. You're playing golf. You're playing good golf. Playing some really good golf last yeah. couple of months. I don't think I've shot over, uh, <clears throat> I think I've had, uh, and since the middle of July, I may have played 25 times, including tournament golf. I don't think I've hit a... I've had a round maybe two or three times over 80. The rest have all been around par-ish. And um, I want to start today's show with something that Tim doesn't know I'm going to bring up, but uh, I had an experience yesterday that reminded me that what we do is... Um, not only is it interesting, I think, to golfers, but it's so um, necessary because the, the person I played with yesterday has been a perennial great golfer. He's a guy in his late 50s who is recognized in the circles of people that we sort of play with as one of the best guys. He's been a good player for a very long time, played at the Canadian amateur level, former club champion at the national, a, a plus one who's having a really, really bad summer. And uh, I played with him and a couple of guys that we all know each other, but I haven't played with him in a long time. And the two that two other guys sort of informed me that he's been this way for a long time now, can't seem to get it himself out of it and thinks it's a swing issue. And after three holes yesterday, I said to the other two guys, I said, he doesn't need any help with his golf swing. I said, he needs an intervention. <laughs> yeah. And I meant it. Yeah. On the second hole of the day. He hit a, uh, I don't know what he had into the green, let's call it 165, and he hit a 7-iron, and he, he, the pin was back left, and a pin you should never bother trying, you should have been aiming way right, aimed at the flag, hit a pretty good shot, like a crisp golf shot, hit the top of the bank, and it rolled into the bunker, and here's what he said. He said, you know, he swore, and then, then he said, great, this is the kind of break I've been getting all summer. 
And I sort of thought to myself, I said, wow, that's the longest golf game I've ever heard of. Because that golf <laughs> game in his brain has been going on for months. Yeah. When, when, you're, when you're on the second hole of the round, he parred the first hole. When you're on the second hole, second shot of the round, and you get a break like that, and, you're, and your complaint is, uh, this is the way it's been going all summer. And I'm going to tell you, the rest of the round was just that magnified. Slamming clubs, banging things down, and I'd never seen him like that. I mean, he's really a, a very fine player. I so, played with him and you last year, and he is a fine, fine player. He just, yeah. The way he strides down the fairway, he was like ultimate confidence, mm-hmm. just the way he rolled the ball with a kind of this nonchalance. I loved it. Yeah. But, and, and he's a completely different player now. Yeah. Well, he's in golf hell. He is. Which is and, where the, I wanted to make the point. What's really impressive, what you've done in terms of your turnaround is you were mired in golf hell, as our listeners will remember, yeah. back in June. Yep. And you've extricated yourself, and I think a lot. I think there's a, we could probably make a lot of similarities. Is that he's going to a place where it's almost like the game is conspiring against him, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that you know he goes to the range. And he figures that this is the piece that it needs to be. And, you know, he's at work and he's thinking about it. He's in the car. He's thinking about it. And it's just that compulsive obsession that just makes it worse well, and, here's and worse the thing. and worse. It, you know, what happened to me in uh, sort of, you know, middle of June to the end of June, whatever it was, around the mid-am, and a few, a few weeks where I just couldn't get myself in a, in a very happy place. Is, and the one thing that helped me, besides yourself and Zokel and a few other people, is realizing that I was in a bad spot. The problem with this guy I played with yesterday, and I spent the whole day with him, and he is in such a bad spot, but he can't see it. And the guys we played with are all sort of very good players. One of them's a pro, uh, you know, a pro, not a touring pro, but a very, very like a plus two or three. Yeah. Other guys a, th- a three. I'm a one now. We all watched this guy play, and they were saying to me, "It's been like this all summer." And I said, "He's got to get to a sports psychologist." Oh, you know. I said, "No, I'm serious. He needs to." Because I said this golfing thing, from experience, it's not getting better for him. And Timmy, the entire way around. Every time he hit a bad shot, it wasn't that shot, that moment, that day, it was, and I thought about this going home, I, that comment on the second hole, second shot, tells me that he's playing one long, shitty game of golf. Ever, and he kept saying that over and over again, oh, it's the kind of break I get, oh, of course it's short. And I said to him at one point, I said, I, I, can't, I, I pretended this had come from somewhere, somewhere else, but it's really my own belief. And I, I, and I know I read it somewhere, but it's what I truly believe. I kept saying to him, you know, none of these shots are related. You get that, right? Oh, I know, but I'm working on blah, 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 and I'm very busy at work. I go on. That's fine. Then just give yourself a break. And then I, a couple of holes later, I'd say, you know, no golf shot you ever hit means any more than any shot you've ever hit. Well, work and blah, blah, blah. I go, okay, but then why are you so hard on yourself? If work's really, and I'm going to tell you, it was all BS. It was just his way of explaining why he shot 82 when normally he shoots 68 to 72. Yep. And it was really weird to see. And I knew we were doing the show alone today. And I thought, well, I would ask you on his behalf. So if you can recognize you have a problem, which is, you know, in any kind of, that's why I say we need an intervention because he needs to realize this isn't about your golf swing. And, and just as you say, when we were done, I went and hit some uh, chips and putts. 
He's like, I got a big tournament coming up, and I wanted to just work on my short game a little bit. And he just went to the range and half an hour of grinding away. Like, it was weird. It was, it was weird for me because I've been that guy. And, and watching it with a really good player was a strange thing. So he comes to you, and then what's the first thing you do? First thing I do is tell him that you're okay. You're just fine. And the earth will continue to spin. Your wife will continue to love you. And this doesn't really matter at all. It just doesn't freaking matter. And it's just his wanting it so much that is causing him to just prolong his stay in golf hell. The more that I want things, and I've been that guy over and over and over again. That's what's brought me to do this work is I've just seen... I've lived through it. And the more I want things, the more I cling to them, and the more I strive, the harder I go, the more my I just get obsessed, and the more it translates into my body through tension and trying to control things and identity, and it's just... That's the recipe for golf hell. Mm-hmm. And I've just seen it over and over again this summer. And it's just like you said, it's just a golf shot. The golf shot that you just hit has no bearing on how you bring yourself to the, to the next shots, how you respond. Well, and it's part of my little thing when I say, you know, golf doesn't know you anything. It doesn't even know you. Golf doesn't know that it gave you a bad break two weeks ago when you had it really going. And this is the things he was saying to me. Mm-hmm. When he was talking at all, by the way, because there were yeah. long oh, stretches. I get it. There yeah. were long stretches, and, and we had a little team game going against the other two guys. We beat them last time, so it was a bit of a grudge match. And I played very nicely, so you know. But we didn't. We weren't talking a whole lot, and it was pretty quiet. But when he was talking, he was talking about you know this has been happening all summer, and you know, and like I said every time. He hit even a remotely poor shot, you know, banging his club down and getting pissed off and. Like, it was just weird. It was yep. weird watching it. It was a great... It was great for me to see it because I'm like, I didn't... I'm not negative. I mean, I'm not... I don't want to put the guy down because I've been that guy. Oh, we've all have. But I sort of have maybe that other... I'm not afraid of other people knowing that I'm vulnerable. And he is a typical guy who is. He just doesn't want to admit that this is a problem. And it is a problem. What's it's, the problem? What's, well, the... The problem is it's not his golf swing. You can't right. fix your golf swing out of this. What he thinks and what I used to think is, and a lot of golfers think this, this is why it's a good discussion. If I just were better, then everything would be better. And it's going to relate, that sentence is going to relate to some other things I want to bring up with Timmy. We all think that if I could just be good again, then everything would be good again. The breaks would start to look different. The putts start going in again. But the fact is, it's, it's the opposite. You need to be good with whatever happens. And then when things happen as they do, good and bad, you're fine with them. But I don't know. This guy, and you've done a lot of work with men these uh, last 15 years in terms of our egos and our fragility. This guy isn't going to get out of this slump until he realizes it, not, it has nothing to do with his golfing motion absolutely well so much of what goes on is how we identify 
how we are being perceived by others, how we judge ourselves, that's all linked. And once we start going to this place of, of judging ourselves and being concerned about how we're showing up, that's a really tough place to be. You're not free. Mm-hmm. You're not free at all. And it translates to, to your golf swing, the way, the way I react. And I've actually given a couple of talks recently on this topic to the, the juniors. Nick Starchuk at Mississauga Golf Club's got some elite juniors. I gave this talk to, the, to his kids on Wednesday night, Thursday morning. I gave it to the kids at uh, Sean Casey's guys at the Club Link Academy. You know, I really asked them, I said, if you go to a place, like if you're, it, and it works in all parts of your life. So most of these kids are high school age. So I asked them, if they're in the, in the, um, in the hallway, and there's a bunch of kids standing around, and one kid says something, and a thought bubbles up for that kid about something he could say, but oh, I might be judged as uncool or dorky or something, then I won't say it. So I asked the kids, when you're making those kinds of decisions, are you free? And then he kind of looked at me and went, well, no, not really. And I said, well, that's because there's attachment to how you're being judged. And I really think that there's all kinds of different things, but that's, that's where I'm going with this is that his identity as a good player, mm-hmm. his self-identity, I've always been a plus and, and I'm supposed to shoot these scores. I should shoot these scores. Once we get into that place... You're not free to be who you are, and you cannot access your skills and all your experience and all that work that he's done. I watch that. I, I watch that guy at over the winter time. No, I know. And every day, every day, hours his, a day, working on his golf swing. His motion for is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty darn good. I mean, for a guy with that kind of experience. Yep. It's. It's like if I tried to do the best podcast I could ever do, if I'm consciously focused on, oh, that wasn't very good, or I hope that whatever I say next is freaking brilliant, through the trying of it, I just get in my own way. And I think that's a lot of what's happening with him, and it's what happens with so many golfers. Well, right. <clears throat> I mean, the, the, the story of him is, a, is it, ap- I always want, is it apocryphal or archetypal? But it's 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 one of those. It's typical of all of us in in you know varying degrees. We've all gone through it. You know, I went through it for a couple of weeks. Uh, we all go through it for a, a round or two. But overall, the only way to fix it, and this sounds cliche, is to recognize that you have a problem that has nothing to do with where the ball is in your stance. You know, I watched a couple of things, and <clears throat> this is I want to move the subject forward to a different place. I watched a couple of the places he was aiming yesterday. And those are the kind of, what I'm saying is if you've got a back left pin and there's trouble, you know, it's a narrow spot in the green and there's trouble behind it and in front of it, your aim is better be fairly conservative. Rotella talks about conservative targets and free swings. Exactly. And the more of the concert, more, and I mean this, this is a, if you can take nothing else away from my part of this, I will tell you, as somebody that has been playing very nicely now for a while, what I what changed with me beside my attitude and uh, what all the all the mental stuff is, my targeting is way more conservative than it used to be, even more than I've ever been. Because if if I've just described that pin, I'd be aiming forty feet right of it. Because from one hundred and sixty five yards, you're 
perception of 40 feet might seem way right. But as you get closer, you know, that 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 bunker to the right of the green, if you draw it off that, well, you're if you make a mistake, you're 35 feet. If you pull it, you're 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 stony. Right. So I watched where he was aiming. And the problem with him is he was aiming where if you were playing great, you'd aim there. A game. A game. With with like a C kind of a state, if you right. will. But he's in a he's trying to he's the point of this is you have to as 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 Oakland said, you have to assess and evaluate not only your lie, the wind, but how you feel that day. Exactly. So if your swing's a little bit off, boy, you'd better be aiming to some really, you know, easy parts of the green so that you can develop some you know, the momentum from not being in the bunker, from having an easy chip or a nice two putt. But he's still aiming as though he's got his A-plus game and his A-plus mental game. And I'm going to tell you, I just watched where he missed it for the first nine holes, and it was in all the bad spots. And, of course, it puts you in stress. You short, And he's got a great short game. But if you short-side yourself and you're, you know, it's, it just adds up to this feeling of nothing's ever going to go right again. Right. Absolutely. Where I'll go with that is my own experiences, and I think it's fairly typical. Please, is that when when my game would start to go south, and I was starting to say fight my swing, right? Which I think this fellow is doing. I would become very internalized, and I'd be thinking about, oh, I'm not uh, whatever the swing du jour thought was for that day was mm-hmm. for me it was some physical cue about maybe not loading on my right side not clearing my left hip ad infinitum right so when the internal spotlight is on me and making a move then my awareness is diminished so thus when I'm looking at the target and what's going and we're playing the game we're on this golf course which has all kinds of things that we have to respond to if most of my awareness is internal and on on function, mm-hmm. I'm going to miss being aware of what's going on. Great point. And I may so it speaks to Zokel's uh, focus on assessment, and it starts with awareness. So if my awareness is internal, I don't have enough energy or just awareness of what's going on. So I may hit a perfect golf shot, even though I might be fighting it. But when I'm not aware of what's going on and I mishit it and I, I pull the wrong club and it skips over into that back bunker, I pull it left and I'm short-sighting myself, then because there's so much emotion still involved, it's just a spiral downhill. Right, and you, don't, you, and you feel like your instant reaction would be, oh, nothing goes right for me. Exactly. But it was all a, a lack of awareness of where you might want to hit a good golf shot. Um, you know, that's a great point that... You know, you don't have, if you're so focused about how, you know, sort of, again, I've been there. Woe is me. I suck. Golf sucks. Everything about it sucks. Why? I put so much time into this. Why am I not better? Why am I having a bad day? You're not seeing that, you know, maybe that back left pin isn't the best place for you to aim because you're not, you're not hitting it very well. So aim even to, you know, I'll give you an example. The biggest change I've had in two and a half months is this. I don't go for every par five that I can hit in two because I, I've learned to assess and evaluate not only the, the trouble around the green, but also how I'm feeling at that moment. You know, yesterday we were playing Glen Abbey. First hole is a short par five and I hit a good enough drive. I've got 
I'll remember that. I got 225 to the flag. I've got 215 to the front of the green. But if you miss it left there or miss it right, you know, you can be on the road just plugging yep. it slightly or you're in that bunker and it's a tough up and down. Yep. So I said to myself, and again, I, I don't care what these guys think of me because another guy that was near me, he's going for it. Good for you. But I hit a club that no matter how well I hit it, wasn't going to be either couldn't go past the flag and may not even get to the green. And I hit it beautifully. I was about 15, 15, 20 feet short of that putting surface, but no trouble. Exactly. Got up and down for my birdie, super for Howard. But the worst I was going to make there was par, but I wasn't going to put myself in any stress. And by not trying to hit the green in two, my, my stress level was sort of at a nice, hey, I'm playing golf. It's the second shot of the round. Let's just get the round going. And th- that's, that, that way of thinking is why I'm, my handicap's gone down. Not because I'm hitting it any better. I always hit it pretty good. It's thinking that way is what saves you strokes. It's emotional management. Right. But I always go with, I always, right now, uh, just aware. You are aware of what you're doing, where your game's at, what's the trouble, what's the payoff. You've got to be in a place. It's like, um, it's just being able to pause and to look from a place of neutral mm-hmm. to evaluate what's going on, including yourself. And uh, our, our friend of show, Carl Morris, Europe's, you know, European sports psychologist, who is going to be on the show the week of uh, Ryder Cup week. So perfect. He's going to be on our show and we'll be able to talk to him. About when the is European. that? Is like the third week of September or something? Well, September 26th is the Because that'll the be uh, date a that couple weeks out. after I get to play Oak Hill, which where they, where, where they've played the Ryder Cup. Yeah, that'd be cool. It's, I, we'll talk about it next week. It's just a, you want to talk about heightened excitement. Maybe that'll be something we can discuss on next week's show because I think one of our guests, hopefully that's the, it's all going to work out. Is that when Gortner and Bonnie are going to be on or is it two weeks? I can't remember. Uh, they are... I think the 20th. I okay, think, so it'll be after like we do Oak Hill. Yeah. But um, anyway, so Carl Moore says... Well, he's... If you... Well, Carl says it's extremely important to know what state your game's at. Right. Like we talked about. So if you got your A game going on and you're in, say, a situation where, you know, it's maybe a dicey shot, but you got it going that day. It feels good. It's in the slot, and it just you feel called. You know, I'm going to hit this forearm. I'm going to draw it off that bunker and carry it over that creek. I feel I can do it. I can rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Then go for it. Then 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 make it happen. But if you're in a situation where you know I'm just not hitting my long irons that solid today, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna play short or something. But it's being it's being aware. It's it's being able to make decisions not on shoulds or I've done this before or where I should be or what the other guys are going to think. It's about what serves you at that moment. Exactly. And to me, that's playing, and I'll make that connection, that's playing free and that's being yourself and allowing your best self to come at that moment. Absolutely. You know, and, and back to this person, again, I, I, I thought this would be a good thing for us to discuss because it's so similar to what I went through. The thing is that saved me is doing this show and sort of admitting I was in that state, having you and Zokal talk to me and kind of going, okay, obviously something's gone wrong because I'm, I can't all of a sudden forget how to be a golfer. I just obviously, you know, a lot of stress maybe around the, be- you know, the beginning of the selling of the house, whatever it was. The, the recognition that I needed to do something differently is what saved me. Unfortunately, I don't see that for this person because he still thinks it's his golf swing. 
And give me an example. Now, I, I wrote down uh, two quick things. So, I don't know when it was. Last Wednesday, men's night. It's a tournament because your score gets recorded. You put everything out, and everyone sees what you shot. Last Wednesday, I hit 14 greens in regulation. Didn't make too many putts. Shot 74. Yesterday, I played Glen Abbey, which isn't an easy golf course. Nope. Hit six greens in regulation. So the first first 14 greens in regulation, shot two over. Six greens in regulation, shot three over. <laughs> because every day you golf isn't going to be like every other day you golf. Right. I You know, yesterday I was just off a little bit. My short game was good. And I, whenever I'd miss a, a green, which I did, obviously, yeah. 12 times, whenever I missed it, most of the time was in a spot that the up and down was fairly easy. And I was comfortable with the shot and felt good about it. And whenever I was in trouble, I'll give you a quick example. So 17 at the Abbey is a tough par four. Playing pretty short, but I pulled it into a bunker and I thought, you know what? I can't get to the green from here. I'm only 150 yards, but the, bu- the steeply lip, bank, the lip, right? Lip, yeah. yeah, it's got a steep bank. And I thought, oh, you know, we only got a couple holes to go. Whatever, whatever. And I thought to myself, how could you make par from here? Well, I'm going to take a, a gap wedge so I don't hit that lip. It's going to leave me about 30 yards short or whatever it was. I can make par from there, and I did. Nice. So big deal. But I wasn't going to make double bogey. The very worst, if I don't get it up and down, I'm making bogey. My point is, I'm a pretty good player, but I still thought to myself, let's be smart here. You know, let, let's not make this aggravating. Because, you know, hitting the lip and having to try it again raises your aggravation level. It does. All of us. Yeah. But I made par from there without hitting the green because, everyone, you can. And if you're a higher handicapper, you can make bogey from there. What you can't do is hit the lip, and now you're making doubles and triples. And my point is, both of those rounds are playing golf. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, the day I hit 14 greens, I had it going on. Fairways and greens. It was cool. But yesterday, whenever I played with him, you know, I was a little bit off. Still hits lots of good shots, just missed greens. And it's at the Abbey, it's easy to do, you know? Oh, yeah. It hits the green, it bounds over into a, a bunker, and there was a, a couple up and downs. I just had no chance. I was just done. I was just trying to make bogey. But the point is, both of those are golf. Yeah. You know, yeah. good ball striking, mediocre ball striking. But my thinking has always has gotten better this year to the point where I go to the golf course now with excitement, not fear. And that's a big difference for me. I played a tournament on Friday, completely excited about the opportunity, but about a hole into the round, I was like, hmm, this feels weird because I'm not shaking inside. Yeah. yeah. I was excited. I had butterflies, but I wasn't nervous because I, I uh, now I employ a completely conservative strategy on every hole. I, and, and if I happen to hit a good shot, great. If I don't, I'm not in trouble. I played a 36-hole golf tournament with the same ball. Wow, that's nice. At a place like Weston. I've played four rounds of golf. I played two on Friday, one on Sunday, one on Monday, without ever losing a golf ball. 72 holes. Because, not that I'm so super, it's just that my, I'm putting the golf ball, when I hit it poorly, in good spots. Well, yeah, I mean, and what I immediately uh, latched onto there is that, so you missed six greens, you're getting up and down. I so missed what, 12 greens and got up and yeah, down. Yeah, sorry, yeah, okay. So you, you missed 12 greens... But you're leaving it in spots where you can get up and down. So right. that means that you are making good decisions on your approaches so that you're, so you're not short-siding yourself. You're not having it skip over the back and that, that type of stuff. And so what I was going to say is that you've made that shift 
I mean, it's really nice to see in your game. You've made that shift that players look for when they start to understand that, A, it's just a game. It's just a game. And it really doesn't matter. And that their their identity as a human being doesn't hinge on this. And that their future on the planet and their relationships and success and how they'll be posted on Facebook, it doesn't freaking matter. Once you start to make that shift, you play from a state of freedom. A little bit more so that you're making really good decisions from a state of equanimity, more peaceful. Like that that decision you made on 17. If you are trying to make a decision, oh, I got to get this on the green to give myself a shot at this or that, then you're not aware that that there's a consequence. Mm-hmm. And the consequence mm-hmm. is of trying to hit the perfect shot or a, or close to ideal is that I'm going to catch the top of this thing, and then I'm going to have a really hard shot. And also, my state is going to be in peril. Meaning, right. It elevates meaning your as stress I said, level. You, you get aggravated because you think, oh, why did I do that? But it goes back to what you were saying, too, about when you're in sort of an, uh, a state of being aware, then you see those things. You see, you know, not to be too shiv as irons again, but you see the field of play, the, mm-hmm. the key being play. I have felt more connected to playing golf the last couple months than I ever have because not every shot's a straight shot. Some, I, I am working the ball way more than I used to. Oh, I could always do it on the range, but I never tried in the golf course of that. I don't trust myself, but now it's all I do. If it calls for a draw, I'll try and hit a draw. If it calls for a cut, I'm going to try that because if it goes wrong, it's still fun. It's yeah. way more fun doing that than just trying to just hit nothing. But because the thing is, if, if I was only a little bit off, I probably could have been with a, a couple of breaks where the ball didn't roll into the rough off the green. I'm going to hit 10 or 11 greens. Like, they weren't terrible shots, but they were all shots I tried to hit that if they, they just didn't quite come off. But it was fun. And, and the point being that it's supposed to be fun. And I'm okay if I'd shot 85 or 75. The fact that I... I haven't shot. I haven't shot eighty five since the, the the middle of June. Mm-hmm. I think my worst score since that intervention, the, <laughs> the Zocal O'Connor intervention. I think the worst score I've had is might be eighty one or eighty two. Yeah, and that's. But that's and it's rare now. I don't even think about it. I just go out and play and see what happens. You know, I played nine holes at Glen Abbey yesterday and I shot even par. First nine holes, I hit four greens on the front nine, two on the back, two. Yeah. I wasn't in horrible spots. I had four greens in the front nine shot, 36. Couldn't have told you how. Just went along hole after hole enjoying myself, you know? Mm-hmm. That, I, I, I totally get that. And that's, and that's where you've... I, I really think you've not attached yourself... To, to what's going on. Right. To not, to not, I'm not attached to the score anymore. Right. And ironically enough, my scores have all come down. Exactly, and I think that what's going on for you is that you're just you're 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 practicing what again our friend Carl calls the art of golf. You're going out and you're committing to shots. Golf is fun when you're hitting shots, and it's not trying to hit that ideal shot that you've been practicing on the range, that perfect seven iron off the yeah. flat lie. That is not golf. Nope. Golf is when you're having a lot of fun and you're you're seeing things and you're trying to make a shot. You're 
body knows how to do this stuff. You've swung enough times, yep. even if you're a 20 handicapper or a 15 or a 5. Your body knows what to do if you empower it with, okay, here's what I want to do. You may not hit it absolutely perfectly, but when you... But intention is everything. Absolutely. It's intention is huge because most of the things that we do, we kind of see ourselves doing it and then just allow ourselves to do it. Mm -hmm. But when we're in this state of of emotional chaos, the intent, everything, the wiring is is messed up and our body doesn't really know what to do. Um, I'm not sure if it was Morris or Shoemaker or I read it somewhere else, but this phrase you know, the, it, it's not, you know, the thing, the cliche in golf, it's not how good your good shots are, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's not only that, it's, it's, are you ready to play golf when you walk from the range to the first tee? And the phrase I read recently, or one of those guys said was, you got to be ready to scramble from the first hole. Yeah. Meaning that, I think I did this joke with you recently, or where I said, everybody in golf is, has this idea that today is going to be the day that nothing bad happens. <laughs> It's the same way, I, I can't remember if I did this on the podcast or the Humble and Fred show, but I said, it's like when Canadians think this will be the year winter misses us. <laughs> can, I'm telling you, all Canadians have this thing where in late November they go, wow, you know, weather's pretty good. Maybe we won't get winter. Well, we, we get winter every year. And you know, every golfer is going to have, whether it's the fourth hole or the second shot in the first hole, you're going to have some bad stuff happen. It just does. Bad is, you know, whatever. You're going to have some things happen that are less than perfect. But I have this attitude now. When I go to that first tee, I go, well, we're playing golf now. Has nothing to do with warming up, which I do way differently than I did before. But we're on. Golf starts now. And I may hit a bad drive, so what am I prepared to do? Where do I want to hit this so that I can make the easiest par that I can and let the game come to me as opposed to trying to impose my will on it because you know yeah you start off great make three pars in a row on the fourth hole you snap hook it out of bounds now what yeah and that's the problem with me and other golfers i think is we're not ready for it because we have this fantasy that maybe i'll hit 18 fairways 18 greens and make 18 putts it doesn't happen like that (laughs) absolutely absolutely so where i go with this and you said the word let and i think that is just such a key word is that when we can let go of what our fantasies are, what our expectations are, what our hopes are for the day, then we can let go of it. Then some real magic can happen. And what I mean by that is, and put it in real context, say you're on the first tee and you want to play well, and you just stand there and you, and you, you feel some tension. You feel some tension. You go like, wow. Okay, there it is. I'm aware of that. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let that go. And the way you do it is just by bringing your awareness to it. Don't have to necessarily, you could employ tactics like looking in the trees. You could do some deep breathing. Breathing, all that stuff. But if you're aware of it, you can let it go. If you're aware, and it's it's just that decision, oh, I'm aware of this happening. I'm going to let it go. Just that act can help you in your golf in, in, in so many different things. It's like uh, driving here today. Uh, the, the radio was just was reporting mayhem, misery, and woe <laughs> <laughs> with, with on the, the famous 401, all kinds of stoppages at, at all these roads coming in. And I, I could just feel myself clench the steering wheel and thinking, oh, I told Howard I'd be there at 930, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I became aware of that and went, 
I can't do anything about this. I will let go. And I just immediately relaxed. Mm-hmm. My Just my grip on the steering wheel just got lighter. And and then the traffic flowed and it, it, it was okay. But it's becoming aware of how these things have a grip on us. Sure. And just that awareness is enough to change. It's like what uh, Fred Shoemaker said, awareness is curative. Who is it that we talked to? I just read this last night. It's in a, uh, a book called Zen and the Art of Golf. Yes, that's... Joseph Perrant, and I was... Giant nerd that I am. And I was reading that book yesterday, yeah. too. <laughs> well, he talks a lot. I mean, I, I don't know if we have time to talk about... He, he talks about so that the golf is filled with transitions. Yep. Transitions from practice to play, from, you know, walking to your shot, the transitions in your swing, the transitions in the game. But one of the things he said that's very key for you know, players listening at any level, really. But he said, and one of the things he said about the perfect seven iron off a lie, because, and because the practice field as Carl Morris would say has nothing to do with the actual game. What Joseph Perrant says is your last bit of warm up should be pretending to play a hole. You know, he's so right because even if you, and he, and he talks about going through your routine, you know, driver, eight iron, wedge if it's a par five whatever but he says just that activity of getting into play mode will help you make the transition from you know the longest walk in golf is from the range to the first hole and that's a chapter i read last night he said the reason it is because what you've done has nothing to do with what you're about to do and as soon as we get out there now we have some tension whether it's a tournament or with your buddies because you just went from hitting balls basically randomly as much as you want with no consequence to the first shot of the day that has some consequence. And he says, you've got to get yourself in that mode before you get there. And he's right. Otherwise, you'll be, in, you'll be jarred into fight or flight mode. Exactly. And your body won't adjust and you, you haven't allowed yourself that transition. That was a key piece that uh, Todd Graves and I wrote in the Single Plane Golf Swing book. And Todd has... One a, of the four O'Connor um, <laughs> books you can find at O'ConnorGolf.ca. <laughs> Thank you. One of the things that Todd wrote in, in we wrote in there was that um, so you go to the go to the golf course. He likes to get there an hour in advance, uh, hit some putts. Just you don't even aim at the hole. Hit some chips. You don't even aim at the hole. Go to the to the range. Work through your bag just nicely. Then you go to the putting green and you start putting to make with some you, intention. You go with through your entire routine. And you set yourself with 20-footers, 10-footers, 3-footers. You miss, you mark, you make. Mm-hmm. You start to make that transition into playing the game, which comes from a sense of consequence. So you're getting your, your, your energy system, you're getting your nervous system ready for that transition from just talking to your buddy on the range, hitting a, a balls that doesn't matter, mm-hmm. and doing that thing that you talked about, playing maybe the first couple of holes on the range. And that significantly shortens that long walk to the range. Well, and it goes to what I'm saying. You know, you got to be prepared that you might not hit a perfect drive in the first hole. We all we all stand around that first tee with this great feeling that all is to come. But what we really hope is is a feeling of hope that today nothing today winter won't come, and it comes every (laughs) round of golf, every round of golf I've ever played, including yesterday and the day before. There, there's going to be some something. You know, I'm playing in this big uh, prestigious golf tournament on uh, Friday morning. You know, I've been looking forward to this. I finally got my move out of the way. Go to the first tee. 
I had kind of a, I would say a medium warm up. I wasn't really hitting it great or bad. I was just kind of getting loose. I did a lot of stretching because I had 12 hour day of moving. So I was really yeah. more focused on getting my body moving as opposed to how's my golf swing today? Because it's, it's fine. I just wasn't hitting it great. First tee, very conservative line. I didn't even notice. It's funny because until I hit this shot, I didn't even notice that there was out of bounds right. But I basically took it on the, at West, and there's a bunker on the right-hand side, and I was going to hit a draw because it's kind of like I know if I get nervous and pull it, I'm still going to be somewhere on the fairway, maybe the left rough. And I just hit it perfectly, but straight at the bunker. Blocked it slightly, and it start, I'm like, oh, I, I felt good as soon as I hit it. And I was, I'm like, uh-oh. And it hit this tree, and it bounced straight left because if it bounces right, I'm out of bounds. Oh, yeah. But it, I was like, ooh, oh, that was weird. Like, my first shot of the day was a blocked right, could have been OB shot, but I was kind of like, oh, that's cool. What a good, that was kind of a good break. It went left. But I had, a, you know, 220 yards to the green. I didn't, it didn't go anywhere. But it, it didn't, because of my mindset, I wasn't shocked into like, oh, crap, golf is bad. I went, oh, that's cool. I'm glad I didn't go OB. And then I walked up and I said, well... I don't think I can get... I didn't want to even try and get on the green. It wasn't a par five. I was thinking, you know, I'll just get something in front and then I'll work on my par from there. And that's what I did. Made bogey, but what I didn't make was a big mistake. And I also wasn't freaked out by it because I walked to the first tee expecting, you know, you never know what could happen. I could have hit it perfectly. I didn't. But because I, I, because I was okay with it not being perfect, yeah. it didn't upset my mood. So you didn't have that surge of energy that, that electricity uh, exactly exactly the way you described your your uh, shank on uh, the last hole of the club championship this again no i'm sorry no what, what, what was it or was it the putt you missed where you said you had this surge of electricity oh yeah that was uh yeah i missed a 14 incher yeah and your whole body is kind of your wiring gets upset no i didn't have that yeah, that's in fact, fantastic I, I was two things went through my mind good break didn't know there was OB there because <laughs> I wouldn't have. <laughs> I wouldn't have aimed at that bunker. I would have and, aimed maybe inside it. And that's what I mean. You've, in all sincerity, you've made this transition that you didn't have when you used to play at the national, and the and the wedges would go flying into into oh, yeah. ponds, and you you would punish your five iron scraping it on the pavement home, and and even earlier this year or, or last year is that now. And, and and what you've what it's happened? It's not just that you flick the light switch. You've practiced this. You've developed this skill, like we talked with Ken Tarling, that he's now able to play. I thought that was so amazing when he talked about doing a thirty-six hole thing. I think it was at Rosedale or a course like that. And the guys afterwards go, "Did you know you made six birdies?" And he mm-hmm. goes, "I didn't know that." Yeah, because there's detachment. It's just, and it's not an intellectual piece. It's being more at peace with your with yourself and it's and that takes practice that's skill building mm-hmm. because you didn't come to this place of nearly hitting an ob in a in a tournament like that and that there's an instant change because you made a change in your mindset you develop that skill and that's that's really infiltrated itself down into your the core of your being and man that sounds woo woo out there not at all but, no, but it, it's taken it's taken time it does and it takes the practice of doing it so much of this is just like you know um, anything that we're trying to do 
well over time. We call it practice. And that's the same with awareness. That's the same with driving on the 401 and not clenching every time I see brake lights or I hear, you know, AM640. No, it's a great point. Talking about something. That takes practice. You need to make this part of your golf routine. And you will have, I'm going to tell you, I just know one thing. I have enjoyed every round this summer since that time. More than I've ever, and whether I shoot a good number or not, I've just enjoyed it because I'm okay if I don't. I know that the day the sun's going to come up. And, and here's the other thing is, I'm not spending, here's the weird thing, and people who know me will find this remarkable, including my friend yesterday. I spend one-tenth of the time hitting golf balls that I used to. Absolutely. I just, first of all, my body can't take it anymore. I'm, I used to hit hundreds of golf balls a day. Don't have to anymore. Not that I'm swing. I don't even know if my swing is that good or not. I just know that what I am working on in my actual motion is just basics. You know, how I stand, where I put the ball. But mostly I just, I don't spend a lot of time whacking golf balls because that's not going to help me. What does help me is my short game, which is way better, my putting, which is much better, and my attitude, which is everything. Because I look at how I'm hitting it, and I think, okay, if I'm hitting it good, I may be a little bit more uh, aggressive in where I'm going to try and hit it. If I'm not, I'm aiming so far away from anything bad that it even, like I'll give you an example. If, I, if I'm aiming down the right side of a fairway, and I'm going to hit a draw, I'm aiming way right. Because if I pull it, it's on the fairway. If I really pull it, it's in the middle of the fairway. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, I did. I'll, I'll hit a pull hook and go, hmm, that's cool. I'm still in play. Ooh. Ooh, a little 10 cc. Sorry about that. little mistake there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, my, you my, didn't my, feel, my... You didn't feel a surge of electricity no, to I go through? No, I about it. I, was, I love that. It's 10 cc. Um, anyway, I, I, ta- all this by way of saying that some of the stuff we've talked about on the show has uh, made a big difference for me. Tim O'Connor at O'ConnorGolf.ca can help you. Um, I talked about my dad once being a, a guy that always loved golf instruction. It's kind of where I got Look it at from. this. So I'm going through wow. a bunch of my stuff moving. I said, I got to show this to O'Connor. So this is my dad uh, never got probably better than a seven or eight handicap on a very easy golf course, but he loved talking about the golf swing. I, I always tell the story six weeks before he died, we're on the phone. He's going, I'm having a little trouble. I think I'm taking the club back too far inside. I go, dude, you're 84 years old. The fact that you even hold a club. No, he seriously goes, do you think I'm taking it? Like I'm grabbing it inside. I go, maybe. Dude, Dude, this is exactly my father, too. So I look, I found this book. It's called uh, Sam Sneed's Natural Golf. How to play winning golf your natural way. Love it, and and it's it's. Uh, I, I I sent the picture to my brothers yesterday, who are both uh, older than me. I said, "Hey, I found this." I said to my brothers, "Hey, I found this book. I thought you'd be interested." I said, "I it was uh, it came out in 1959." I said, "The reason I know that isn't the internet; it's the inscription on the inside, and it's to my father from my brothers, December of 1959." Wow. To daddy. To Happy da- so obviously my mother wrote that because oh, yeah. at that point they were like eight and four. But it says to daddy. Happy birthday. Love David and Stephen. December 5th of 1959. My mother wasn't even pregnant with me. <laughs> oh, no, that's not true. I was born. I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah. You, it was, I was born yeah. a month later, two months later. That's right. She's very pregnant with you. She was very <laughs> pregnant with me. But there's a perfect example. It's it's. All Timmy, if you look at this, it's all the same stuff. We everyone, it's all golf instruction from Sam Snead getting out of bunkers. You know how to swing like Snead. The grip, the grip, 
position at the ball. It's all the same stuff. All like, the same stuff. That was in Tiger Woods' book. That was uh, in Ben Hogan's book. Led, that was the, in the your Ledbetter, book. The Ledbetter book. Yeah. Well, this is beautiful. Look at these classic So I want you to have pictures. that for a little while. You oh, can thank uh, you. thumb yourself through that and uh, just peruse it. I know you like... Uh, I like that pick. What are they all? Oh, they're measuring. Uh, I guess because it's match play. Oh yeah, yeah. They're measuring. We've got tape measure and everything. In but the old days in match play, you could make your partner. You could stymie them. You, you basically you could your ball could be in the way of the hole, and they'd have to chip it over your ball. Hmm. Yeah, I've got a I've got a couple of these beautiful old books. Um, obviously, the classic is uh, Ben Hogan, the Five Modern Fundamentals with the uh, the pencil sketches by Anthony Ravelli. Wow, that's art. That is amazing. But also, I've got a book uh, by An- uh, Julius Boros. Wow, swing easy, hit hard. You know, I played with uh, Guy Boros a couple of times. His son. That kid could play, man. Oh, he, yeah, really good player. Yeah, unfortunately, he could never. He didn't really. Um, couldn't really bring it on that. I think he won. I think he was on. The, he's on the PGA Tour for a for, year or two uh, or something. I, but yeah. I think he won on the web.com. dot com. I mean, he's won at the professional level. He was yeah. a friend of a friend of mine, a uh, guy on the Canadian Tour named Kevin Baker. That's how I met him. Oh yeah. Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca. That's how you get a hold of Tim. HumbleandFredRadio.com. Yeah, uh, we got about five minutes left. Any uh, final thoughts, Mister? Um, uh, you know what? I just really. It was a. Really great show today talking about, um, again, how people get themselves in golf hell. And I'm having this discussion more and more all summer in that I think that golfers in wintertime, they're, they're, they're working on their swings. They're, they're coming into the game with hopes and expectations. The season starts and they're happy to be out there playing okay. And then they start to get involved with their game. And worrying about technique and this kind of thing. And then they just go into this golf hell. You know, for a long time in the game, I used to wonder, why is it at the start of the year you come out and, you st- and you're flushing it and golf seems easy? And uh, I used to think, I use this joke about like, it's almost like you golf doesn't know you're playing it yet. <laughs> it's like you just start playing it and you haven't really woken it up. And then all of a sudden when things, as, as you, you know, your first few tournaments, your first few games of consequence, all of a sudden... It seems to leave you, and it's all because of that. It's because when we, when we start after the winter, we have zero expectations. Absolutely. And so we tend to flush it because we're really not expecting <laughs> – because we think to ourselves, well, I haven't played in four months or three months or whatever it is, so I won't really expect to play that well, and all of a sudden you do. Well, and that's the absolute paradox of golf. Right. Is that the more we try, the worse we play. And the more that I can just trust on myself, feel free – React to a target and be aware of others and and aware of my environment. It's amazing what can happen, and but it's when I put that really tight spotlight on myself and judge myself and and really concentrate on my mechanics. Uh, you know, your fundamentals have to be good for sure, for sure. But when you're, it's just there's the paradox. The less I try, the better the, you do, and the more aware I am of my environment, and what's going, the better I play. Well, as expectations rise, as the season starts, as expectations rise, a lot of us, our golf game gets worse. But similarly, at the end of the year, you go, well, it's the end of the year, all the terms are over, and you know, you find yourself having some of your best scores in October and early November because, well, you're just out there playing. It's just great to be out. Happy, to, happy to get it happy done. Happy to be, get it done. Yeah. 
it's just so ridiculous. It's the reason that all of this is like a, uh, the metaphor is why is it that some of our best swings of the day are when we're laying up on a par five? Because we go from trying to hit our three wood or hybrid or long iron to having a wedge or an eight iron in your hand. And all of a sudden you just flush it because your expectations are pretty low at that point. Yeah, you've given up all the tension, right. all and all the the again that electricity doesn't flow because there's you haven't set yourself up for that that hit and that reward. It's it's I think so much of it is based on I can make a free swing on the range and I can practice that, but if I really care so much mm-hmm. and that that if that first approach shot to the green isn't just on the flag and hits solid, <clears throat> there's that surge of energy. And you can't practice that on the driving range. I always come back to one of the f- uh, best things I ever heard Roger Maltby, who I like as an announcer, but oh, I yeah. remember him saying, golf's an easy game until you care. And that's what we're talking about. As soon as you begin that round, now you care. It's the, as, as Joseph Perrin says in, in Zen and the Art of Golf, he says, when you go to the first hole, it's the first shot of the day where you're actually intending it to go somewhere for real. And that's where you get that surge of energy. Um, all right, kids. Well, there you go. Um, this program is brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas. They're a bunch of sweet Butrons, and all their products are amazing. Here's the thing. A lot of golf companies at this time of the year would be, you know, trying to clear out their stock and whatever. People are still buying that M1 driver because it's uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of work. A friend of mine <laughs> sent me a text last night about 10 o'clock. I need an M1. Who do I talk to? Yeah, who don't you talk to? Um, exactly. O'ConnorGolf.ca, HumbleAndFredRadio.com, and on Facebook at HumbleFred. Radio Swing Thoughts on Facebook, and uh, we will see you in some form or another next week.